0: The speed of search has altered our expectations when it comes to conducting research. We can search just about anything, but when it comes to the experiences of our peers, that data is left unindexed. Meet Pulse Q&A. They're looking to change exactly that. Pulse QA is the research platform designed and dedicated to helping CIOs and technology leaders make smarter decisions through the power of crowdsourced data.
1: The best way to describe Pulse is what Google is to search, Pulse is to research. People have gotten really used to being able to do a search and come up with fast, accurate, and free results and use that to inform their decisions. Research, on the other hand, is extremely hard where you have to set up an account, become a master in how to do surveys, figure out how to contact the right people. Especially on the B2B side, this is even more
0: challenging. And it starts with building a massive, powerful community of the top CIOs and CTOs in the industry. Mayank Mehta, founder and CEO of Pulse QA, wants to close the gap between search and the latency of crowdsourced data. The goal, get back real results in real time to help leadership executives make better and more informed decisions. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Mayank discusses the platform and all of its benefits, and he gives some insight into some of the top conversations CIOs are having today.
2: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest, the CEO of Pulse QA, Mayank Mehta. Mayank, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So right out the gate, we always allow all of our guests to tell our audience what the product that you build does. What is Pulse QA? The best way to
1: describe Pulse is uh, what Google is to search. Pulse is to research. You know, people have gotten really used to being able to do a search and come up with fast, accurate um, and free results and uh, use that to sort of inform their decisions and uh, research on the other hand is extremely hard where you have to set up uh, an account, become a master in how to do surveys, figure out how to contact the right people, especially on the B2B side, this is even more challenging and wait a few weeks, if not months, pay tens of thousands of dollars for as incentives and then come back with, you know, poor quality of data and if you just juxtapose the search experience with the research experience, there's just a massive gap to be had. Our mission at Pulse is to close that gap. So ideally, we make Pulse to a point where you know research becomes as easy as search, where you can pick up your phone, ask the question to the right audience, get back results in real time, and use that to better inform your decision.
0: So tell our audience why this is materially different from let's say relying on a forester. Or- or Gartner to produce a report and data on if I have like B2B application questions?
1: Yeah, great question. So we got started, um, as you mentioned, in the B2B world and specifically within that with technology decision makers. The reason being, you know, technology decision makers spend hundreds of billions uh, of dollars on technology every year. You know, in some cases, a trillion plus have been also cited. And there's a lot of research that goes into making these decisions. There are three things, though, that are happening um, that are changing the traditional world of research in the landscape and why uh, we think Pulse is a good fit uh, within this changing landscape. Number one is it used to be 40 companies that ruled the world. And now there are 40,000 with hundreds more coming out every year with accelerators like Y Combinator and others sort of almost just chugging them out. And you know what used to be okay for a centralized authority to cover all of this is now increasingly difficult to cover those 40,000 companies. But the power of the crowd uh, and the platform that is Pulse can actually enable that. Because on Pulse, it's not analysts that you're learning from. It's actually your peers that have been verified and brought into the network. So when you ask a question and when you want to know details about something, that actually goes out to the right people. They come in and they answer and you get that data back in real time.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Because I've gotten a chance to use Pulse a little bit. It's pretty amazing. Um, I might say myself. So for our audience who doesn't, isn't aware, what Mayank is saying is this is not this is not like some of the aforementioned publications where I where I mentioned where, I don't know if people know this, but you can literally pay because I've done it before. We paid one of those publications to say our rating was better than it actually was. This is when I was working in enterprise software long ago. So Pulse QA is actually a community of CIOs, CTOs, let's say top level developers that come together and have, when they provide, let's say their opinion, like Mike was saying, it's not from, oh, I read something about it or something like that. It's like, they've done it. They've implemented the technology. They've worked with the systems integrator. They've seen the outcomes. And these people are willing to share feedback about how it went, what it costs, what was the ROI. It's pretty bananas.
1: Yeah. Well, man, you should have uh, led with that intro um, because that's exactly spot on. And, you know, just adding to that, not only is this sort of community driven by the knowledge and the thirst of these executives to help each other pay it forward and obviously learn from each other, the incentive mechanics for what traditionally has been in place for people to answer surveys is also something that we fundamentally changed. So unlike other mechanics that are in place for traditional research, when executives come in and answer Pulse research, the incentive mechanic is primarily the data and knowledge itself, where they can quickly benchmark against their peers to your point, see how they're faring relative to their peer group, and use that as a way to better inform themselves and their teams and, and move forward. And because that data is instantly accessible and unlocked, that drives that much more data into our ecosystem and that much more um, you know, insight to our larger community as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because I was going to ask you how you get people to leave comments because you're absolutely right. If it was paid for or you know something like incentivized through payment, well, then it might not be as unbiased as we'd hope it to be. The other thing I really like about Pulse is the fact that, and I wanna ask you about this, is how do you ensure who is in the community? The reason why I ask this is, let's take for example, for myself, I don't use and rely on Yelp reviews. Someone asked me why, and I said, well, I don't know who the reviewers are, so why would I care what they have to say? I've seen, for example, Taco Bells get four stars, five stars in certain locations. Like, I know what Taco Bell is. I don't consider that good Mexican. So like, well, I don't trust, there's no authority. You know what I mean? Like, there's no authority in Yelp. So I don't trust Yelp. And that's just me personally. How do you create that authority and trust in the reviews? Because obviously, if you have junior analysts or, I don't know, someone like myself who hasn't implemented a technology beyond you know, like Slack
2: <laughs> in the last
0: <laughs> five years, I, w- I wouldn't give a good review. You know what I mean? My review, it doesn't have merit. So how do, you, how do you ensure the quality of the crowd?
1: So we actually regularly reject hundreds, if not thousands of users from the platform because they're often not who they claim to be. We have constantly people claiming to be, you know, CIs of public companies when they're, when they're not. Oh, wow! So we use a pretty rigorous method to verify their email their LinkedIn profile before we let them in. Once they're in, they're then able to participate. And because of that, you actually start to trust the data quality that much more. The other thing we do um, to sort of, you know, make sure that people do trust the data quality is exactly to your point. You know, traditional research just says N equals 100, but you have no idea who these people are. On Pulse, as a community member, when you click on N equals 400 or 500 or whatever that number is, you can see exactly who those people are, who's participated. Not what they've said, so we preserve that PII, but we do show you the names so that you can, again, trust the data that you're looking at, which is so important.
0: Yeah, so it is a free-flowing community of top-level CIOs, CTOs, VPs of engineering. Who else, what other types of roles are, are some of the community members?
1: Yeah, we, you know, when we started, we focused simply on technology executives, um, specifically CIOs. They were so underappreciated and with now, you know, every business being a technology business, we thought that was a really great place to start. Since then, through both our customer base, as well as just the organic spread of the community, we've added CTOs. So that's the engineering function and a lot of the key sort of technologists and developers on the platform now are clutched to the data that we're collecting. From there, we've actually added COOs in the operations function, CISOs in the security, uh, information security function, And we're now adding about three to four more departments, including finance, HR, marketing, as well as product management.
0: I want to bring this up because this is one of the things where people who are maybe on the outside, they might start thinking about is how do people become, or is that ever going to open up? Like, let's say I'm not going to be a contributor, but I want to consume this information. How do people get seats and access to consume information? Or is that not quite there? Are you not quite there yet? Great
1: question. So we are there. We actually work with um, close to about a hundred customers at this point, you know, companies like uh, Salesforce and Microsoft and Okta and others. And we enable them through the other side of the platform to come in and consume this content and make sure that they're able to get these insights. Two primary differences in how users on the community side do it versus customers on the platform side do it. Users can actually see who each other are and come in and ask questions for free using our point system. On the other side, though, customers need to be paying subscribe uh, you know subscription members. Um, and once they are onboarded as a customer, we anonymize all of this insight and data, so they can't tell who's exactly said what. But they can tell using the metadata that we provide from the platform at least what type of people are saying what kind of things and how that can help them influence their go-to-market strategy or content strategy. So, you know, shorter answer to your question is you know, become a pulse paying customer and uh, You have access to tens of thousands
0: of these data points and insights. The conversations that are in pulse are not these like, I don't know, no one's asking who had ice cream for, you know, dessert. This is like serious stuff. People are talking about, for example, the solar winds breach, how you handle split tunneling. What are, I'm just going through some of the subjects, right? How to deal with vendor lock-in. And it's pretty cool because a lot of these people that are in the tech side are saying it's not even an issue. (laughs) <laughs> meaning, meaning, so sales reps, when you're out there trying to f- sell that FUD of vendor lock-in, these guys are like, we don't care. <laughs> we'll kick Basically, let you know. If you suck, they'll kick you out, okay? So <laughs> talking about security and health, uh, strategic priorities, you know, data science and analytics, machine learning. These are low-code development people that are pushing these topics. What is your approach to the rise of multiple cloud collaboration tools in a work-from-home world? I mean, these are like serious actual questions. And what's fascinating about this is people are leaving. Some of the answers are actually quite specific. They're actually detailing how they've implemented these solutions to these problems inside of their own organizations.
1: Yeah. You know, that was actually really difficult for us, uh, thing for us to crack initially, is most of the social networks that people, especially at the executive level, are a part of, do not encourage trust or vulnerability. You know, someone like a LinkedIn, everything has to be up and to the right. Twitter is mostly about sort of, you know, quick Q&A or maybe a joke or a meme that you come across. But being vulnerable is often left to the offline events that people are used to. But with COVID, it's been especially difficult for people to be able to connect with and have those vulnerable conversations. And this last year, um, I think we finally started to understand over the last year and a half or two, how to drive that vulnerability how to drive that trust. And that's sort of led to the conversations that you're talking about. And uh, you know, the three conversation types in particular that are of note, uh, one is just leadership conversations, especially with the massive transition that's happened over the last year. People are really curious to see how others are managing teams, leading remote teams, or you know, is this remote thing here to stay? Or are people coming back post-vaccine? How is that being prioritized across different industries, especially where, you know, like education, where in-person is such a big deal? Number two is, um, as you mentioned, some of the vendor stuff, right? With so many vendors to choose from, how do you decide what's best for you? It could be based on star ratings, of course, but most likely, um, you know, choosing a vendor is much like choosing a house where, you know, there's no such thing as the best house. It really is about what's the best house for you based on your budget, based on your use case, based on your needs. And a lot of that happens through discussions, not just ratings. So that's actually now starting to happen more and more, which is exciting. And the third one is just strategy overall. Even outside of the vendor you choose within the ecosystem, what is RPA? How is that important, and how is that going to help me either save money, make money, uh, or sort of accelerate my business in a new way through digital transformation or you know have a new source of revenue perhaps? And these are really interesting conversations. But across all of these, vulnerability and trust is um, you know is core, and that's something we're really proud to actually have on the
0: platform. yeah. the third point you just made there is pretty good, right? where you're saying, hey, what if I don't know what RPA even is? This is a place where you can actually get it answered, question answered from people that you, that have sat in your seat. Whereas like you mentioned before, if a CIO asked that question on LinkedIn, they might get eviscerated. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) maybe everyone chimes in, I can't believe you don't know this. CEO calls you in like, hey, why'd you ask that question? (laughs) (laughs) right you kind of talked about like you can be vulnerable because people here are i mean it's it's pretty cool because you and then to your point you just because i'm literally scrolling through pulse right now as you talked about it you mentioned in your second bullet point is like how do you vet vendors because there's a lot of tools like captera g2 they all kind of try to crowdsource and grade software applications and i'm looking at a question right now what email signature management tool do you use which sounds like it's How hard could that be to choose from? Right. But there are a lot of options. And then the people here are actually explaining how they're implementing these different email solutions, e-signatures, tools, and, you know, I'm reading the conversation and it's already beyond what I think e-signature tools are, which is getting signatures. These guys are talking about integrations into different platforms that like what? I don't even know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. And it's amazing because these categories start to blend so quickly which is why it's really about the use case, right? Is most of your e-signature use case mobile first, where people are always on the go, in which case like low connectivity and making sure the great user experience is sort of part of the bundle is critical relative to, hey, this is a desktop. Like it just needs to be frictionless, one click and done. I don't really care about like mobile as a use case. That matters. Integrations really matter, right? Does this happen in your inbox or uh, through Salesforce? Um, How does this work? How does licensing work? All of that plays such a big role. And, you know, like G2 and some of the others are doing a great job in, capturing the sort of voice of the user, but that depth and that contextual information that you need to go to that next step is something we're excited about
0: presenting. Listen, for anyone who's not, doesn't believe what Mayank is saying right now, the the fascinating side of this e-signature conference, like this is just a great example of what you're talking about. This email signature thing. Now I've heard of a lot of e-signature tools. There's HelloSign, there's EchoSign, there's, um, which is now Adobe Sign. Uh, There's DocuSign. I'm telling you right now, these CTOs and CIOs are talking about something that is not one of the things I just mentioned. (laughs) It's some other tool out there. I won't say (laughs) because, but they're literally all talking about another one. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that's actually one of the best things we get to see. So, one of the things that we actually run is something called a product IQ report. And uh, one of the trends that we noticed in running these surveys through our community was people weren't just excited about what people are using today, what their peers are doing today but what does life look like six months or a year out and what are the tools that they will be using or perhaps are migrating to in the future or even considering and getting that blip into what is next, not just what is today is really exciting. And, um, you know, through that data point, just being able to share back and see, Hey, you know, these startups have the best momentum across RPA or even a new CRM player or e-signature player to your point is really powerful. And it's just very exciting Uh, And, you know, back to your original point about, you know, staying away from pay to play in any way, we're so proud that these startups are getting the recognition that they deserve through the power of the crowd coming in and saying, hey, I'm excited about this new tool or platform that I discovered. And I actually want to be an advocate for them and and talk about it openly in the community with no agenda whatsoever. So it's exciting to see, you know, products winning on their merit uh, as opposed to anything outside of that.
0: So do you have, uh, based on where, what you guys have developed in the community that you've sourced, do you have, let's say, VCs and um, people, investors constantly wanting seats into this platform as well? Because I feel like they would want to know what, what, <laughs> what people are building. Yeah, we do.
1: We actually have three types of, uh, of customers. And we have go-to-market teams. So that's both uh, product marketing, as well as demand gen, as well as sales organization who really want both a combination of great insights and great content as a way to build their messaging you know messaging foundations as well as um, just the sort of go to market campaigns that they can run and uh, the second type of customer we have to your point is investors whether it's the VCS on the early stage on hey how is tech changing and let me get ahead of that let me ask my own questions so I can form my own thesis or defend my thesis for an upcoming investment or even just you know figure out at the sort of later stages, know, what are competitors to DocuSign and, and EchoSign and HelloSign? What are the opportunities and how do I, again, go and justify uh, that investment? So that's sort of number two. And the number three is actually really interestingly, uh, journalists, uh, where a ton of, you know, tech journalists are really excited about getting to the truth, asking custom questions, getting custom answers really fast to be able to validate their thesis for an article or, or a viewpoint that they're sort of going out and talking about is actually really wonderful to see as well. So those are the three types of people that we serve.
0: So from your perspective, because you get to oversee a lot of this stuff, from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges right now that CIOs face?
1: I would say there are three challenges that CIOs are talking about today. Number one, first and foremost, is just how is the business going to come back from this pandemic? And you know that has cultural issues, that has people issues, that has process issues and challenges. and some of the best CIOs out there are just you know mindful of not just status quo and how they're how they can continue to run operations on a daily basis so that the business has continuity. But beyond that, they're thinking ahead about how do we get people to come back? What does that look like? How do we do it safely while making sure again the business uh, is running smoothly and in fact growing as part of that. So that's number one. Number two is um, you know digital transformation. We hear this over and over and over. and digital transformation, a lot of the great CIOs out there will tell you is people process and then technology, uh, not the other way around. Um, and, you know, culture plays such a big part of this, that the best CIOs are often investing in educating what does digital transformation mean, moving to the cloud, not equal to digital transformation. That's not magically going to drive a lot more revenue. It actually means taking advantage of new technologies to drive more revenue. And it's a business conversation that is being led by technology leaders. And um, that's something that a lot of CIOs are both curious to learn more about, but also uh, I would say not just curious, but anxious to invest in because they see the best in class of their peers doing that. And then number three is uh, making sure that they are able to play that core technology provider role, um, be it sort of making sure that costs do go down. And a big part of that, you know, is moving to the cloud or taking the workload to the cloud, but that's not always the case. In fact, for many, it's often a surprise where the bill comes back and it's that much heftier than you expected. Yeah, But making sure that there's continuity, making sure that you can run, again, a best-in-class service, uh, because that's table stakes, right? And there is a lot of hesitation on how to migrate that fully, what is best practices there. And so that's the sort of third pillar that people are talking about. There is a fourth, which is about you know new technology, emerging technology, but we only see about the top 5% of the CIOs really going there because they have the other pillars kind of quote taken care of, and they can invest their time and energy and resources in looking ahead uh, to some of the sort of breaking um, and new technology out there that can impact their business both positively as well as negatively.
0: You know, one of the things I pulled and extracted from your three major points and fourth point is, uh, <laughs> is, how, is how CIOs really, they're not really in the business of making a nominal gain. So when people talk about when from because I've been on the vendor side trying to sell technology into an organization, you know, the company's not really thinking to themselves, oh, I can't wait to squeeze out an extra one percent. That's not enough to, to take on the risk because you mentioned how implementing technology is often it's a people process thing first before it's a technology thing. Yep. And so they have to think about who's got to use it. How many people got to use it? How does it spread? How do I train? How do I support? What impact does that make? How much does that cost? Yep. And I used in some of my previous conversations with other CIOs about how I worked at a company and we made a very short-sighted call to like change the audio provider that was in Cisco's Webex at the time. So this is pre-Zoom, but Cisco Webex, I don't know if you remember, they charged money per person on the phone line. That's how you—that's how they got paid. Remember that? Yep. And so there was a call to make, okay, let's go to VoIP. Let's use this VoIP service, replace Cisco Webex, and we'll do all our sales calls there. And it was dropping calls left and right. I mean, the whole sales organization was freaking out and this customer service organization was freaking out. And then, you know, ultimately the people in IT that made that call, it was a disastrous call. To save what? To save just a nominal number. Yep. And so kind of what you're talking about is like, if the people in process is heavy, heavy lifting, then the technology has to be a monumental shift for it to be worth that lift.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, compounded to that is sometimes a lot of these, changes take a long time you know we're talking about a multi year effort to rip and replace your core erp to make things more agile and nimble for the entire organization for like 100,000 people that's non trivial and unfortunately the half life of the cio is about 2 years and so there's this sort of there's this problem where the cio is incentivized almost to make short term investments because they just never know when the either next gig comes up or when the company decides, you know, this isn't working out, uh, let's part ways, and they are incentivized to make uh, very often these short-term priorities. Whereas if you look at some of the more successful CIOs, and I'll let, you know let's take uh, Prakash Kota at Autodesk, he's been there long enough. He's such an integral core part of the team that when he thinks about investments and investment priorities, of course, so some of that is short-term and midterm, but a lot of that is just foundational work that the company needs to do overall to go out and, and do the things they need to do. And that's really powerful. And the best CIOs are able to sort of take a step back, get the organizational support they need, and think about a sort of five-year plan and execute on that, uh, which is wonderful and doesn't result in these sort of short-term VoIP-like investments you just talked about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a disaster of all disasters. I'm curious for yourself, how did you find this marketplace? How did you find this opportunity? I want you to share what you were working on. And of course, ultimately you saw this Opportunity for this community. I'd like, I'd like our audience to know how you came upon Pulse QA.
1: Well, uh, you know, there was a conversion of two things that happened. Uh, number one was uh, to your point, we had uh, an exchange with some of the leading research firms out there as a vendor and just realized that in order to be recognized as a vendor of choice or as a leader in a category, we had to, uh, let's just say, deepen our relationship with them.
0: And, <laughs> you, know, you, you found out that those business <laughs> review journals, they charge money to review you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was just staggering to me that on one side, man, people are spending billions of dollars. And on the other side, the kind of research that's plugging into this, not always, but seems to be malleable in, in how it comes about as opposed to a sort of rigorous research-driven way. And not everyone does this, but there was enough of this um, out there that, that felt like an opportunity to go and change that. So one was from a vendor point of view, just saw, uh, you know, hey, there must be a better way to go to market and to be recognized for the product we're building based on the merit of what we have, as opposed to uh, you know, trying to get relationships going. And the second thing that led to this was actually just the need for research as a category overall to be stronger. I'm a product guy through and through. And the thing that keeps me going is feedback from users, feedback from the right buyers. And if I want to start a B2B company tomorrow, it is more or less impossible for me to get scaled feedback and scaled results from the C-suite executives that I want to sell into. Like imagine starting a business that wants to sell into CIOs in the Fortune 2000. Good luck getting any time of day. And maybe six months will go by before you're able to get maybe what, five, 10 conversations and that's what you have to bet the next five to seven years of your life on. That is hard to do. And as a product guy, I just saw, again, the opportunity to go and change that by getting this feedback in real time, incentivizing both sides of the marketplace to make that happen. And uh, luckily, uh, you know, both paths converged into what we call Pulse today.
0: Gotcha. So were you already working on Pulse when you went and found the uh, deep in the relationship conversation?
1: <laughs> I was not. No, I was actually at a company called Capriza that was uh, Andreessen recent backed and I uh, was had a product there and saw as I had a product, both the relationship I had to go and carve out where I had to go and educate the analysts on the space yep. that we were creating. But somehow I ended up being the ones paying them as well. Which seemed <laughs> weird because we were doing a lot of the education and then I've been there, man. <laughs> yeah. That's just, I mean, like what an amazing business model they've created. And on the flip side, um, you know, building product, it's really hard to get feedback from enterprise. And I just saw this opportunity. So both of those converged at my previous role and uh, decided to to start Pulse.
0: I mean, you hit it right there, which is you, you can see the, the hunger, the hunger and need to understand enterprise-grade technology has always been there. It's allowed these analysts to thrive because no one actually knows what they need to implement. And it is a very secretive world where... Like you kind of said, companies don't, they're not regular, like, you know, like we're on LinkedIn, people are talking about, I don't know what they talk about on LinkedIn. They kind of talk about, you know, these like short sentence kind of deals, but no one talks about how, oh, I implemented this solution and it helped my company and here's what happened. Yep, That's not how CEOs are talking. No one's actually sharing this information at a, at a widespread level, but we do know that everyone's doing research at a widespread level that it needs to happen. So yeah, these analysts that figure out a way to pay, you pay them to do homework on you of which you provide all the information. Yeah. (laughs) And then they sell for like $2,000 a view or whatever. It's It's a crazy business model. And because of that, I also have this question now. Is that the industry Pulse will most disrupt or where do you see Pulse's like next five years? Yes, great question. So the near term goal for Pulse is
1: to go and change the way that B2B research is done. And there are three aspects that we wanna improve. One is the quality of data and make sure that people can trust it. The second is the speed with which we offer this, no time for annual reports because life is changing way too fast for that. And third is being able to provide this research in an affordable way without having to pay, you know, 50K or 200K or 250K for simple questions to get answers. So that's gonna be the near term and that's going to disrupt, we think, a lot of the traditional research analysts plays out there And uh, there's a ton of money to be made on that. Beyond that, we want to obviously, as we talked about, expand the opportunity uh, from just CIOs and CISOs and CTOs to pretty much every line function. And the opportunity we see beyond that is sort of getting to, I would say, more of a LinkedIn scale, where the network and the community that we're building is purpose built to help each other become better professionals, as opposed to purpose built for networking, right? A professional network is very different than a professional community, right? The latter is much more about vulnerability, decision-making group effort toward a joint mission. The former is much more of a dynamic contact list. And um, we do see this huge opportunity available to us in, in forging what we think, you know, LinkedIn ought to become or, or perhaps the opportunity for what we we go and create um, out there as uh, LinkedIn 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever you want to call it.
0: Gotcha. No, big, big time ambitions, man. That's more, you know, it's always hard to tell how communities work. I mean, I have no idea because when I think about like social, not that this is social media, but when you think of crowd-based applications, like some, it's just really hard to predict how, how it grows. Yeah. What about, how are you thinking about getting, because your community will be based, it's based on a specific type of person entering into the community. How will you go about recruiting more people into this community of answer providers?
1: Yeah, that's uh That's been a big lesson learned for us over the last couple of years. Uh, Fortunately, two things have worked out. One is we have really great content now. And uh, because of that, our SEO juice from Google and uh, other search engines is picking up, which drives more organic acquisition. And number two is our customers, actually. So you know, we're proud to work with customers like Citrix and, and Okta and OneLogin and some of the others that I mentioned. And what's incredible about these customers is they want to run exclusive custom research on our platform. When we run that for them, we actually give back not just the raw insights, but production ready assets for them to use for their campaigns. And the first thing they do is take this co-branded asset and use this to drive their top of funnel by blasting this on social media, on their emails, running ads with it. And they're targeting the same people that we want as part of our community, which is wonderful. when our customer sends out this asset that we created to their mailing lists, a lot of that bleeds through into our community and sort of bolsters it that much more from an acquisition perspective. So it's a nice virtuous loop where we get more users, that gets more data, that gets us more customers who then publish our data to those users who join the community and sort of is a nice loop to be a part of. So uh, we're taking advantage of that flywheel and uh, growing our community through that.
0: Yeah, sounds good. All right, Mike, you know what it's time for? Shoot. It's time for the lightning round. It's time for us to ask you some questions for people to get to know you better, a little bit better outside of your world at Pulse. You ready? Let's do it. All right. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mayak, what do you like to do outside of work? Because I looked at your LinkedIn profile, man, you have been building products and companies for quite some time. So you're definitely deep in the software and engineering side. What do you like to do outside of software and engineering and building companies?
1: So number one is hanging out with my family. I live with my wife and uh, two daughters who are four and seven. And it's just amazing, especially as a product manager, to sort of think about them as products that I'm influencing. And that's kind of weird to say, but it's just amazing to see how they're developing and growing. And I love spending time with them. Second is graphic novels. I'm reading one called uh, Logic Comics right now. It's actually really, really cool. Um, So I love discovering great graphic novels and jumping into those. They make you know, difficult to consume topics, really easy and approachable. And I really appreciate, you know, great art too. And number three is guitar. I've been an aspiring musician, musician for about 25 years. So hopefully one day I'll get there.
0: Are you better at designing software than guitar or vice versa?
1: Uh, way, be- way better at software. So uh, <laughs> luckily for my investors,
0: yeah. <laughs> what do you like to play when it, when it, when it comes to guitar? Do you, are you a classical guy? Do you play jazz? Do you play metal? What do you like to play?
1: Uh, so my heroes are In Order Slash, yes. Jack Johnson, <laughs> which is a weird departure from Slash, and then uh, pretty much everyone else. But I really like the solo experience that Slash creates and just how musical it is in spite of being, quote, metal. Um,
0: it's really nice. All right. If you had to play a lick to impress somebody, you would play? I would play Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> when you're watching your kids, because I have a, I have a daughter who's right in the middle my daughter's 6 you have, you said you have a daughter that's 4 you have a daughter that's 7 yep you're watching them go through the home education experience right now when you watch that happening does the product side of you constantly want to invent new ways to, to educate kids
1: absolutely man there's this great TED talk about school in the clouds by this guy Sugata Mitra who basically talks about how schools are why they are you know the way they are today And how it needs to be reinvented. It's an amazing TED talk. I highly recommend it for everyone. But you know, schools much more need to be about problem solving together in the social aspect, more than a sort of rigorous academic schedule. Because it's not about what you know anymore. It's actually much more about how you apply it because knowledge is basically instantly accessible now. And that's something that I think you know, schools are yet to see the transformation of, whether it's you know in person or offline. So I think the Montessori system, for what it's worth, actually does a pretty decent job at this, where it's a lot more hands-on. But yeah, the product side of me is chomping to uh, chomping jumping the fist to get at this problem. And luckily, one of my friends, uh, David Vassin has invested in this in a company called Brightwheel, and is looking to change education uh, for the better. So I'm excited about what he's building.
0: No, that thing that's pretty fascinating. I was writing notes on that TED Talk, because now I want to check it out <laughs> for yourself. You know, you currently we're all stuck at home. You have some. Interesting hobbies. You like graphic novels. How about the outdoors in travel? Do you like the outdoors or travel at all?
1: Is that a thing? I've forgotten. That used to be a thing sometime <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> I love outdoor travel and outdoor sports actually too. I'm really big into snowboarding, especially because my daughters are getting into it now. Oh wow. It's actually a lot of fun to see them just rolling down the hill, mostly on their butts <laughs> and then their boards, but it's it's really fun. And then travel. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually how my wife and I got close to each other was traveling to uh, Japan together and then uh, taking a few more trips from business school where we met. And uh, that's really, really close to my heart. So hopefully we'll get to uh, go to our next destination soon, assuming vaccines are in place.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's ask it then. Let's assume pandemic's done. Everyone's vaccinated. It's just a thing of the past. Where's the first place you want to go to?
1: Uh, Tanzania. So we are really excited about booking a safari there. I did a night safari uh, a few years ago now, and it was just a magical experience. I want to take the kids back there and, uh, do it again.
0: Wait a second. You've already taken your young children to Africa before?
1: I haven't. I've just been there myself. And so okay. now that they're of age where they can kind of remember the stuff, I want to take them there and, uh, <laughs> make sure they are as scared as i was in those nights of parties
2: man
0: i'm telling you right now my akmeda has some serious courage because he's willing to put his daughters on a plane for that's like a 20-hour flight i think from san francisco it's probably more it is yeah dude. it's
1: like yeah i think it's close to 30 hours actually
0: really oh scary. my dude <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not the it's not being in the safari that's gonna be dangerous. It's gonna be stuck in that plane for with a four and a seven year old for 20, oh, excuse me, 30 hours. That's so true. That's gonna be rough, man. Hey, listen, you're a brave dude. Hey, listen, you 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 might get my vote for the bravest person that's been on the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. To
1: me and the passengers that will fly with me. So yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I'm gonna that's hey, listen, that's why I always bring headphones on my flights. Uh, but, <laughs> but my I appreciate you coming on the show today, coming on IT Visionaries, sharing your vision of Pulse, sharing what, what you're up to, and also sharing a little bit about your personal life.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to host me and thank you so much for this opportunity.
2: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do learn more at salesforce.com/platform